how can we not do that right now? You know, it's the season, right? Come on. I got my game clothes on today. This is the season. But we're here to consider the scripture, aren't we? It's amazing how God has guided us in our lives and guided the history of the world in such game-changing fashion. Uh, Today we're going to look specifically at the story of Abraham. I wish, I wish that, uh, that we could stretch this out and get into all of the details of what this unbelievable leader, this Father Abraham, meant to to all of the world. Truly, he is an incredible story. And in fact, his story is continuing to happen even in our midst. Um, and you'll see as we move through this scripture today that there's, it's impossible to touch on all of it. But the thing that I want you to realize is that, is that we are not only the descendants of Jesus, but Jesus comes from a lineage that goes before. And we are ourselves descendants of Abraham as well. Who is greater? I mean, you know the answer to that, don't you? Jesus is greater. As John tells the story, John says, in the beginning was the Word. It wasn't in the beginning was Abraham, right? It was in the beginning was the Word. Christ was in the beginning. But as we look at the story, we can see, if you look carefully, that you and I are actually the pinpoints of light when Abraham heard God speak to him and he said, he said, your descendants are going to be more than the stars in the heavens above you. I want you to realize that, that you and I are a part of what God was speaking into Abraham's mind. There are three verses that I, I want to share with you from the 12th chapter of Genesis Uh, Listen to the word of God in this place. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Everyone knows the quarterback calls the plays, right? I mean, isn't that the way it goes? You come to the game day and you you look out on the field and you see these guys that have just work themselves into such shape, but your, your eye is on the quarterback. What is he thinking? Where is he going with this game? And you watch him, and you're mesmerized by some of the choices that he makes and, and how he's able to escape the tackle at just the last moment and how he calls the plays that seem to, to do the work of the field. Now, some of you know these guys better than I do. I had to do my research. You've got to remember, I'm new here in Statesboro, Right? J. Bob Shaw, let's get his picture up there. Nah, the one before that. There we go. Now we're on target here. J. Bob Shaw, right here in the midst of this play. You see him? You see what he's doing? 
Now, this is from three years ago. But you see what he's doing? He's talking to his players at the line. I, I don't know the exact context for this game, but I have a feeling since he is calling from the line, they are dealing with time pressure for sure. And so he is communicating with them and he is communicating in code to tell them what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to go. It's fascinating, this game of football. Listening and getting the call is absolutely crucial. But this is the real story. Now, Bill, put the next one up. This is the real story, right? <laughs> you know who's talking in his ear, don't you? Jeff Munkin is, is saying, Jevo, now what you're supposed to do when you get out of there on the field. You know, there, there may be a lot of quarterbacks that are freewheeling guys that have the mental acumen to stay on top of what's going on on the field in all its complexity. But those guys are few and far between. They're, they're sort of memories. The Johnny Unitas kind of guys of the past that are able to work it as they are working the field. Do you see all of the equipment that coaches wear these days? Do you see the, the wraparound microphones and the headphones that they wear? Yeah. Do y'all watch football? Okay. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Who do you think they're talking to? They're talking to the guys that are up in the crow's roost, right? Who have a picture of, of everything that's going on on the field. They're, they're not only looking at our team, they're looking at the other team as well. They're not only looking at the other team, they're looking at the coaches on the other side of the field. They're anticipating, they're anticipating what is coming next. They're seeing things that it would be impossible for the quarterback to see. Now, this is where it gets interesting because Javo Shaw knew how this worked. He knew before he came from tech over here. He knew before his feet hit Statesboro soil, and especially before he crossed beautiful Eagle Creek and got in there, got in there next to Jeff Monk, and he knew what was going on. He was giving up control, wasn't he? He wasn't taking on control. When he came to Statesboro, he was giving up control. And he was giving it up to a coach that he saw some of his future in. In fact, it was interesting. The article where I found this, this great, great picture here was sharing that, that in the interview with J-Bo, that he said of Jeff Munkin, he said, this guy is like another father for me. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? Now, I don't know if y'all have ever been to a preschool graduation before, but I remember going to Lawrence Drive Baptist Church preschool graduation. And our oldest daughter had been attending there. And as I sat in the audience at that graduation, 
one of the teachers, I guess maybe the director of the preschool, stood up and asked the children and said, now you all take turns responding to this question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, the one on this end started, and as she said, she said, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. And I thought, Lord, how do you think this girl might be able to do it? She has such confidence. It went on to the next little fellow that was beside her. He said, I want to be a lawyer. And then it got real. The next one said, I want to be a fireman, you know. And the next one had something else. One of them, one of them stood up and said, I want to be Superman when I grow up. <laughs> But the one, that, the one that interested me most was a little guy who stood up and he said, he, he said, I want to be a Coca-Cola truck driver when I grow up. <laughs> and I thought, what? What? A Coca-Cola truck driver? I said, where did that come from? We moved on with it. No one said anything about it. I was, I was visiting with people. I had forgotten about it, you know, and, and uh I, I was visiting with some of the parents at the reception following, and I was talking to this guy, and we told each other our names, and in the conversation, I, I said to him, I said, now, what do you do around here? He said, well, I'm a Coca-Cola truck driver, <laughs> and I thought, okay, I got it now. I got it. I, I may be a little slow, but those guys, those guys that were up on the stage, those little characters that were being called into life, into what they, they wanted to do, were picturing themselves in the image of those that they revered. Isn't that the way it always is? It, it really is. They want to be themselves, but they also will emulate those that they have such deep respect for. Now, you've got to remember that this is the way it was with Abraham as well. We don't know why God chose Abram, a.k.a. Abraham, the name that he was given that he's most known for. Don't know why God chose Abraham. But I can bet you that Abraham's understanding of his call had something to do with his daddy. You know why I know that? Because my call has something to do with with my daddy. You need to know that my daddy is a retired United Methodist minister. You think that had any effect on me? It might have, right? Might have. Now, I can remember there was a point in my life when I was, when I was a youth, a young adult becoming, actually I was a freshman in college, and, and I had determined I didn't want to be a preacher. In fact, it was the last thing that I wanted to do. But I was with a dear friend who I don't know if y'all know Dave Hanson. Some of you might know. 
Um, but Dave Hansen meant a lot to me. He was a minister in our conference, and he and I were, were going to a meeting together, and he was picking my brain and trying to deduce what was going on there. And I can remember Dave Hansen asking me the question, Bill, he said now, he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'm thinking about becoming an optometrist. Now, that was before I took chemistry. <laughs> but I was serious about not going into the ministry. And he said to me something that was incredibly important. Now, y'all may not think of this as being game-changer stuff, but for me it was. He said to me, he said, Bill, he said, I know you don't want to go into the ministry because your daddy is in the ministry. But don't not go into the ministry because your daddy is a minister either. I had never thought about that before. If you know the scripture, you'll know that Abraham didn't create this journey. His daddy created this journey. We talk about Abraham's journey along the Fertile Crescent coming from over in that country called Ur, which is, which is Iraq. In fact, where they think Ur is located is just 70 miles south of, of, uh, of Baghdad. And he traveled up with his daddy up the Euphrates River all the way through what is now Syria, speaking of what seems to be a God-forsaken place, dealing with trauma. No place is God-forsaken. When Abraham was there with his daddy, they were dealing with all kinds of angst. In fact, Abraham's brother had died in Ur. I'm not convinced that the family didn't move just to get away from all of that sadness. Have you ever had to deal with sadness so bad you just wanted to move away? Grief so, so hard to deal with that you just wanted to leave. You wanted to throw your hands up and just leave. I have a feeling that Abraham's daddy and Abraham, for that matter, were thinking of that. And so they left Ur. He had intended to go to Canaan, his daddy did, dragging his family along with him. You know where they stopped? They stopped in Haran, which is southern, southern Turkey, right above Syria. But here's the interesting thing, is that Haran is spelled differently, but it sounds the exact same way when you say it. To the name of Abraham's brother that had died. Now this is, this sounds like trivia, doesn't it? You wonder where are we going with this? This is interesting stuff, friends. I think that God plopped them down in Haran. And in fact, I know that God also coaxed Abraham away from all of that grief and angst that had taken hold of his life and gave him a new opportunity to continue in his daddy's footsteps that his daddy hadn't made it all the way. 
but that he had in store for him that God was going to make possible. Then you listen to these words. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. And I'm going to add here, and your brother's memory to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Some people don't know what to do with their, with their turmoil. You may be saying to yourself, you may be saying to yourself, what's happened to me is different than what's happened to anybody else. People don't understand what I've had to deal with. Let me tell you, friends, this is all the human condition. And when we're talking about calling, we're talking about every single one of us. We're not talking about preachers here. I mean, that's a particular calling. But you know as well as I do that everybody, God calls everybody. You know that, don't you? God calls you. It's incredibly important for us to remember that God calls us in the midst of all of that confusion. I I heard the story of this missionary couple who had been to their chosen mission field Africa, and while they were there, they had the good fortune of having a child. And over the course of the four years that they had spent there, they watched this child grow up. But a very unfortunate thing happened. The child contracted a very serious illness, and over a period of just a few days, the child died. It was devastating. News went back to the parents of this couple who were living on the east coast of the U.S. and met them at the airport when they returned with the body of the child in order to have the funeral here on this land. And there in the airport, the first thing that the missionary couple said to their parents when they met them was a thing such a faith. They said this. They said, God has entrusted to us such a great sorrow. Ah, if we could have that kind of faith. There is such uncertainty in what any of us have to deal with You see, this is not so much a geographical journey, but this is an ideological journey that Abraham was on, which means that we can make a connection here. We're not talking about something that just happens in the Middle East, are we? We're talking about something that happens here and now in Statesboro. In fact, really, this is more than an ideological journey. This is a theological journey for him. 
Abraham was trying to process the fact that his daddy had believed in many gods. He was coming to the notion that that couldn't be, that God was one. And this was the driving force of his life. This is a week in which we remember how people live through uncertain times. Have you seen on the news that, that Wednesday will mark the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington, D.C.? Now, some of you may not even know. I'm looking at the front rowers up here. You may not have a clue what this is all about. But let me tell you that that is an important thing for us all to remember. Stay with me. Hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Washington, D.C., and they listened to Martin Luther King, Jr. speak his words about this great dream he had for the nation. John F. Kennedy, who considered himself a friend of Martin Luther King, Jr., told Martin Luther King to call off this rally. Why would he have done that? I mean, if they were friends, and if John F. Kennedy was in favor of these ideological ideas that Martin Luther King had, why would he say, don't come to Washington? The reason was the uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen when all these people come. And as soon as they get here, violence may well break out. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. was preaching this ideology of nonviolence. <laughs> How in the world it happened, I don't know. But somehow God blessed that event to be a nonviolent event. You go back and look at some of the videos on it. It's incredible how so many people could come together with such, with such an idea for changing the nation and not get up in anybody's face about it. You have nothing but uncertainty before you. You know that, don't you? God doesn't offer you any sure thing. I mean, come on, there are a lot of preachers that love to focus on this once saved, always saved kind of idea that God has this beautiful plan for your life and nothing will go wrong. Is that real? Have you discovered that to be real even up until now? Let me tell you, if you haven't dealt with some uncertainty in life, you're not dealing with life. Your life will always have uncertainty to it. Does that mean that God is not present in the midst of it? No, it means that God is very present. For those that will answer the call. This is an interesting thing. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a book to preachers during the civil rights movement. Did you know that? A book that was written to none other than the preachers, specifically the white preachers, throughout the South. He called it a letter from a Birmingham jail because that's where he wrote it. 
it is scathing. It is scathing. In that book, he said, he said, okay, he said, you're asking, you're asking yourself, you're saying to me, this is not the right time, it's not the right place for this, the time will come. And he's saying to them, he's saying, when will that time come? Join me, join me. You and I, you and I move into God's uncertainty. And yet we can know that God will be with us. That's what God made so known to Abraham. We don't make this journey alone. God is with us. Just like he promised to his disciples. You remember over in Matthew how Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with us. And that is enough to change the world. And so listen. Listen to God. That voice that speaks in your heart and in your mind. Don't turn away from it. Don't wait on some certain surety that all of life is going to be exactly right. Abraham didn't wait on that stuff. He didn't know where he was going. And yet he moved into God's future. And it changed the world. What a beautiful thing. Somebody who hears the call of God and trusts it. How's God calling you today?